0: The proclamation of martial law is not a military takeover. I, as your duly elected President of the Republic, use this power which may be implemented by the military authorities, but still is a power embodied in the Constitution to protect the Republic of the Philippines and our democracy. Marked as one of the bloodiest and darkest years in the Philippine history, then-president and dictator Ferdinand Marcus established martial law in September 21, 1972. Decades later, this had been the excuse of ruthless soldiers, vigilantes, and leaders to abuse the Filipino citizens through rape, torture, murder, and the worst things our minds can imagine. It is hard to look back to the past hunted by these horrors, but false information and claims still roam the streets today, claiming that the previous dictatorial regime was a golden blessing to the Pearlis ng Silangan. I think it would be proper to make a disclaimer that this episode is in no way intended to give taint to certain names, nor give spotlight to some. This is beyond politics, beyond hearsay. Because in this episode, we will speak nothing but data and evidence-backed facts, only the truth. In the end, as GMA News and Public Affairs Anthem goes, katotohanan ang magpapalaya sa bayan. Good day everyone, in this episode of the In Between podcast, Martial Law, Years Before the People Power Revolution, with Ms. Shannon Carrion. Our guest for today is a graduate of the Department of Legal Management of San Beda University, Manila, Batch 2019. She is currently taking her master's degree in sociology in the University of the Philippines, Telemann. Among others, she was part of the Junior Beden Law Circle Multimedia Committee, a seasoned and decorated debater, and the former team captain of the San Beda Debate Society. Currently, she is teaching students from different countries such as Thailand and other parts of Asia. In addition to the fact that she's a founder of the very informative Pag-Usapan natin PH. To all our listeners, we are pleased to have her with us in this episode, Ms. Shannon Lees S. Karyan. Hello,
1: Ate Shannon, how are you? Hello, Kim C, si GBLC, and sa ibang listeners. Thank you for the invitation again. Um, ha, kamusta ako 2022, um, doing great. Busy sa campaign para matalo ulit ang isang Marcos kaya dapat hindi mapagod.
0: Okay, ate, that that is uh, <laughs> a good introduction and we will be discussing a lot today um about the Marcoses. And uh as I mentioned in the introduction a while ago, uh in this episode we are not actually trying to um ruin some names or some reputation because what we will be doing is as simple as laying down facts and the truth itself. So it's up to the listeners to decide that. Okay, so um, I think we can go directly to it. Um, First, by making a working knowledge on the topic that we will be talking about today, martial law. And in the current Philippines, whenever people hear the word martial law, they immediately associate it with dictatorship and abuse. But in general, and in the strict sense, is martial law inherently bad?
1: Yes, it's inherently bad. But if you're, if I'm not going to be a fundamentalist, ba sabi ng mga historians, um, I will look at it in a way na ano yung mga grand or big ideas ni Marcos in itself and what can we do to make it better. But in martial law, yes, it's inherently bad. And if I'm going to nga, mention minan shon ma hung panoshatinity ng ng mga historians na mga ordinary Filipino, I think I would describe it the way that my uh, University of the Philippines cite it. Like um, monopoly, number one, number two, probably debt management, third, um mga cronies, and fourth, corruption. And kasama na don yung mga human rights abuses. So yeah, it's inherently bad.
0: Okay, so you have mentioned several um, aspects of martial law already. And at least for the sake of fairness, no, in the opposition, event, um, it would be better if you also discuss the logic or reason as to why the then-President Marcos declared martial law during his reign. And based on my readings, one of the major considerations he took into account is that the communists were becoming a big of a threat for the country, especially knowing that Uh, They admitted their contribution to some of the major chaos in the country at that time, such as the Plaza Miranda bombings, etc. So do you think the initial, not yet the succeeding years, not the execution itself, but his initial intention for the declaration of martial law justified?
1: Um, Looking at the martial law museum... And the justification, because if you search Google right now, and parang na rin sa iba, if you search why Ferdinand Marcos declared martial law sa Google, the first answer that will appear by Wikipedia, of course, is yun nga yung sinabi mo, to suppress the increasing civil strife and communist threat in Manila, which is not the case in itself. because before the martial law and his, um, before those period, around 3,000 yung NPA. And after, or like during his, um, the martial law era, naging 24,000. So parang, meron ng tinatawag yung historians na parang siya yung leader ng NPA because of what happened. Na grabe yung increase. But at the same time, um, possibly, may yung mga opposition, tama, na sinasabi na yun nga kaso siya ng communist ideals etc. but if we're going to take a look at way back 1969 parang pinangako na naniwanan since 1969 parang it was addressed noong um, nagsalita siya sa isang event I think it was about alumni association ng Philippine Military Academy na minansyon nanya na three years before pa na there will be mar- martial law so may hint na sa plano ni Marcos na there will be martial law and then coming to his second term, he felt the dis- dissatisfaction ng mga tao because of the economy, politics, so parang naramdaman niya yung galit ng tao na express siya sa students sa militant protest. So, wala siyang choice. He had to declare martial law to stay in power. And siguro in addition sa minansyon mo kanina, before leading sa Plaza Miranda, merong, I think, four series of events na nagpapatunay na planado siya. So, first, um, siguro, slight dis- discussion about facts nung events na is first yung Upland mer- merdeka ng 1967 to 1968. So, itong Upland Merdeca na to, um, Ginawa siya, supposedly, ang goal niya is for Malaysia. Saba from Malaysia. But what happened in sa upland Maribeca is nag-recruit ng mga sama Muslims papunta sa Sulu to infiltrate the disputed area sa Sulu. So parang ang, ang promise ni Marcos that time is 50 pesos monthly payment sa admission to, sa group na yun, sa armed forces. But at the same time, after that, like 1968, yung news ng killing of Moros... Um, kalat na kalat yung news na yon sa isolated island of Luzon, Kung parang naka- lumabas don ay nagkaroon na ng separation between Muslim movement and between, and that made to the point na nagkaroon na ng justification of martial law. But then, after that Oplan merdeka, merdeka, yung second sign na magkakaroon na ng martial law is yung, nga, yung re-election niya, yung mentioned kanina na uh, madami ng issue sa re-election niya, corruption, and other human rights abuses. Then after the re-election, pumunta tay sa third sign, which is um tinitawag siyang first quarter storm noong 1970. So if makita nyo, I think everyone na lahat naman sa tagabeda nakita nyo or do madanta sa National Museum of Fine Arts sa Manila, di ba? So yung National um Museum of Fine Arts na yon lumang legislative building yan. and noong 1970 around 50,000 or 60,000 people nag against Karl Marcos noong nanalo siya sa re-election. So after his sona, nag And he knew by that na galit na yung mga tao sa akin. Bakit ang daming nag against me? So ang ginawa niya ay, uy, makipag-meet ako with the student leaders, with the activists and other professors, ganon. So after meeting with the student leader, um, sikat siya, si Hobson, so, isang student leader, nagdemand si Hobson na um sign na document na hindi ka na mag-papay elect for your 3rd term, 3rd term. So, lalong nagalit si Marcos kasi bakit mo ako pinapapirma na bawal na ako ulit uh, umupo sa pwesto. So, after that, um protest agad kasi hindi na siya pumirma dun sa kasunduan na 'yon. So, may na mga may mga namatay na, na mga activists, protesters. So, dito na pumunta. Siguro, malapit narinig siguro to ni Kim si tuwing nag-discuss ako sa debate na parang after that, nagkaroon na ng Battle of Mendiola. So, I think San Beda laging kinukwento yon di ba Kim say, na parang um, San Beda helped the protesters during the martial law. So, after the Battle of Mendiola, naggather yung tao, yung mentioned mo kanina, sa Plaza Miranda, sa Quezon um, Boulevard sa Quiapo. So, 10,000 yung tao from different groups, different sectors, farmers. Hindi siya violent yung pagdating ng protest na yun. Like, people were painting sa streets, parang pinapakita yung signifying ng against the protest art ng mga Marcos. Kasi yung mga Marcos mahilig sila sa fine arts. Like, if you're going to watch the documentaries, lahat ng fine arts meron sila, lalo na si Imelda Marcos. So, after that, then yun na, nagkaroon ng Plaza Miranda bombing. So, kaya si Marcos yung Plaza Miranda na yon na nangyari, yun na yung time na nagkaroon ng suspension of um, Habeas Corpus. So, dinuron nila Atty. Mike. So, parang katitingnan natin yung suspension na, na yon it allows without warrant of arrest to, like, suspected enemies of the state or, like, um, yung suspension was attempt, like, sa communist insurgency nga tao. Pero, ito pa yung siguro last part na dun sa question on meron yung motive ni um Marcos kasi even in 1972 Marcos cited na um kailangan ko mag-declare kasi si Juan Ponce Enrile in ambush ako pero even to that point na may report na si Juan Ponce Enrile Enrile na nagsabi siya na um and if titingnan natin yung official gazette may admission si Enrile ng 1986 na um we have to fake that ambush so recorded then yung pagka fake ng imposition of that martial law. And sinabi rin, um I think Libroni me, me Hares parang sinabi niya over the phone kay Andrile. Sinabi ni Marcos kay Andrile na make it look good, kailangan um, may masaktan, kailangan may mamatay mas mabuti. Basta kailangan scripted or like framed talaga yung pagka ambush na yun. So I think Three years or four years before the declaration of martial law. Na talagang motive na motive ng martial law.
0: Okay, so that is a bit new now. I, I learned a lot of new ideas. So so from the upland uh Merdeka to the Hobson case, the Battle of Mendiola, and then really ambush. Some of those are very new concept to me. So I think the same goes for the audiences. So thank you so much for that. And um, just to sidestep a little bit, though we will be going back to the topic as well. Um, Let's step a while away from the violence first. But one of the most common assertions of his supporters is that during his regime, the Philippines was in the golden age of its economy. And that the exchange rate was almost a peso to a US dollar basically they claim that at his time we had a record breaking gdp which up to this date now no other presidency has beaten and what do you think about this um assertions
1: uh feeling ko is isa sa magandang propaganda ngayon ng mga marcos supporters and i think hindi hindi sapat nasabihin natin or like ng every listener is probably na masasabi ko na, oh, that's not true. We have to react to it and we have to admit that some of the ideas nga na sinabi mo is true at some point, right? Kasi ito yung um pinapakita ng mga ekonomista na parang number one, tama na maganda yung model ni Marcos. We cannot deny that. Yung um tinatawag niyang, ano uh, ang tao sa kanya ay developmentalist leader, I think. So, kasi meron siyang developmental economic model. So, um, basically yung developmental model ay parang um, to target certain industries na mag-export. So, for example, sa Japan, they allow export of cars. Yun, di ba? Sa Southeast Asia, mga ganon. But if titingnan natin yung um, difference between what the envisioned developmental model of Marcos versus what happened ay, hindi siya nag-export. So kung titingnan natin, yes tumaas yung GDP noon kasi oil crisis parang tayo yung umangat yung Pilipinas. But what happened i um uh, Marcos favored his cronies. So naging crony capitalism tinatawag siya sa um sa isang subject na inalcoholism na parang yung nga. Parang for example, yung Coco Levy Fund um hindi, yung mga areas na dapat mag-export yung Pilipinas, na magagaling yung Pilipinas, hindi tayo nag-export dun. But at the same time, I think madami pa rin nagtitingin dun sa developmental model na maganda siya. Pero it's not executed properly. Kasi na-execute siya ng uh, madaming bansa eh. Like ng Singapore, for example, which is isa pa. But at the same time, yung may mention ko nga kanina, yung isa pa sa magandang, model I. siguro we can discuss this later, yung revolution from the center, na parang kinatawag niya about oligarchs, di ba? But, if titingnan kasi yung golden era daw to, yun nga, yung pinakaunang reply ng mga um, loyalista, um, kung titingnan kasi yung macroeconomic effects ng Marcos era is, for example, migration proper, since I wrote a paper on the migration of people nung Marcos era I lumili talaga sila kasi wala silang trabaho na makuha dito. So if titingnan natin, for example, um, number 1, titingnan natin yung wage nung um Marcus Era, nag-drop talaga siya. So for example, yung daily income ng agricultural workers, um nung 1962, 42 pesos, pero ng 1986, naging 30 pesos. Tapos yung sa farmers naman, parang ng 1974 around 20 pesos or 23 pesos. Um so parang bumababa talaga siya. And tayo for example, yung skilled workers, kung tayo yung nasa panahon ng martial law, um 127 pesos yung um income natin. But during his time, naging yung 127 niyan na naging 35 pesos na lang. So grabe talaga yung wage na binaba. But at the same time, ano example, for example, yung mga workers na walang school training, malaki na yung 89 pesos before, di ba? Pero bumaba nung Marcos regime ng 23 pesos. So, pinapakita dito na noong 1973, um, siguro ito na yung personal level kung to answer that question, personal level, yung underemployment na hindi makakuha ng trabaho, yung pamilya ng mga probably yung mga na-interview ko na parang was at 10% noong 1973. Pero nung panahon ni Marcos, it was 33% or 34%. So yung um numbers noon nagtriple talaga. So parang kung iisipin, wala ka nang na trabaho or kung may trabaho ka, ano, magiging 30 pesos na lang yung uh, pera mo. So underpaid ka. Tapos ang ang lakas pa, ang taas pa ng mga pressure ng bilihan. So kung titingnan talaga noong panahon ng Marcos ay yes, madaming yumaman. I agree to that kasi kinwentuhan ng mommy ko na parang nung panahon niya, hindi affected yung mga great-grandpa or grandmothers ko. So parang sa kanila, wala, okay lang yung martial law because they're not affected. But in reality, um 58% or like seriously 6 out of 10 Filipino families were poor. So parang ang claim kasi yun nga, ang claim talaga ng mga loyalista ay, at pati na rin ni Bongbong Marcos sa mga kampenya ay, Oh iting nyo yung GDP, golden era yan. Pero sinasabi ng sociologists, for example, ng political scientists, ng economists, ng historians, na you have to look at the entire period na according to the latter years of the Marcos era, yung Philippines ay naka-experience ng worst recession. So parang pagdating ng, um, ni Corrie sa gobyerno, Ha- she had to handle that worst recession that happened in the latter years. So, kung titignan natin yung external debt, okay lang naman mangutang. Lahat ng bansa nang umutang. Pero kung na natin, yung increase ng pangungutang ay naging 28.2 or 3 billion. So, that's like 4,300% increase. So, parang, sorry for the data, nag-geek out ako. Pero kung titignan mo yung data kasi, sobrang, pinapakita niya na, na sobrang hirap ng Pilipinas that time. And we have to look at the latter years, not just, oh, mataas yung GDP, okay na yan. Kasi okay lang talaga mang utang. Pero nag na yung Pilipinas by 1983 ng debt moratorium. So, yes, merong infrastructure na napatayo. Justification siya, probably. Pero nagawa yung mga buildings na yan, nagawa yung airport na yan. Because of the debt-driven accomplishment. So if this is a golden age, I don't, I think this is a big fat lie because if we're, if we're going to t- talk about golden ages, um, you cannot talk about it na baksak na baksak yung bayan mo or yung, yung country mo. Ayan.
0: Okay. Um, those are good facts. No? Again, your reminder lang, we're all saying facts lang and the truth. So um, that's all that we're doing. So if merong um, hard feelings, then that's the fact lang talaga. Um, I would like uh, to expound lang on one aspect that you mentioned that there were bright ideas. And I remember watching uh, or reading yata some text from Leloy Claudio or just watching yata yung Basaganang Trip from YouTube. And I remember that's how he Uh, look at it, Then, that Marcus had bright ideas, but he had the wrong execution. And uh, you also had concessions that the models are good. And this is a question that I would like to ask for the past several years. And I think it's proper to uh, put this inside. Uh, Despite those, and this is a question that actually got me pondering after talking to apologists or supporters of the then dictator, it did create actually establishments and infrastructure that are so important that we use them up to this very day. The Philippine Heart Center, the CPP, the NLEX and the SLEX, and even some of the nuclear power plants that are planned by some administration to na operate nila. So, do you think that this is uh, that we can just concede to these facts? Na he at least contributed something to the Philippines, or are there still um, drawbacks to these uh, structures that he made?
1: Probably the simple answer to that is yung nire-reply ko na rin kapag tinatanong or ini-interview ako about that na, um, number one, ang tagal niya sa puesto, so imposibleng wala siyang mapagawa. So parang ilang taon ka sa puesto, imposibleng wala kang mapagawang airport, daanan, etc. But okay, let's answer that in a way looking at Ilocos. So okay, ma- ma- meron siyang naambag sa Metro Manila area, but if we're going to take a look at Ilocos, isa pa rin siya sa pinakamahirap or like um lab- uh, yung utang ng sa Ilocos region lubog pa rin. so I don't think um malaki yung naambag niya don, but at the same time yung nga um si si Lilo nga um is debater yun siya so parang nung napakinggan ko yung developmental model and pinakinggan ko din si historian si Liloy. So parang kung titignan mo nga, maganda talaga yung idea. Kasi mayroon ako mga kaklase ngayon na they're still studying about the developmental economic model ng Pilipinas. But not in a way that you have to look at your friends or like kung sinong, like for example, sila Kuwangko or like yung mga yayaman, sila Lusyotag. But what academics look at right now i Ano yung mga certain industries ng Philippines na we can adapt to or like we can execute in the future so parang kung titingnan yung model yeah meron ang bug si Marcos we cannot deny that because lahat ng mga lahat ng yun nga, yung mga minansion mo kanina but at at some point we have to question ano yung na sacrifice because of those alleged na napagawa niya or napatayuan niya ano yung mga na sacrifice sa justice system other like big institutions or power structures na meron tayong ngayon like hanggang ngayon we're still talking about that hanggang ngayon we're still dealing with all of those umbag ng mga marcos
0: okay at uh just before we shift to another issue uh, i think uh it's important for us can you discuss even a little bit lang yung the revolution from the center against the oligarchs because some people are a bit familiar with the developmental model and I personally is are, like I'm not super um familiar with the revolution from the center. Kasi super short lang po for our audience as well.
1: Uh yung basically dinang democratic revolution from the center ay parang communists um and oligarchs. So parang if you kung siya it's like a centrist approach but not really because if you're going to take a look at what happened dun sa um, he's trying to abuse like communists and like trying to look at the oligarchs as a whole. Na kung titingnan mo yung minan sa nko kanina, what happened to the communists? Number one, it, uh, what happened? I from two thousand or three thousand naging twenty four thousand yung communists nung panahon ni Marcos. And parang ang naging system don ay walang nangyari sa developmental plan, walang nangyari sa policies, economic policies the Pilipinas. So, like, I will just go and join the Communist Party. So, parang, kaya, one of the parang sinasabi ng opposition, bakit tumami Communist? So, while the oligarchs naman, parang, you ha- if Democratic Revolution from the Center is like, uh, yun nga, parang it's all, also about targeting certain industries. So, but, but what happened with the Marcos regime I, ang na-target ay, yung may ko kanina na cronists na meron Ngayon so like sila tan, sila eh. so parang it's about two um different parang from point a to point B which is the revolution from the center na okay
0: pa. Uh, Shannon, uh, in the revolution from the center there are the oligarchs and there are the communists as well and I think there is there are some people in between and I think you also mentioned a while ago that your great grandparents uh, were not, like, how they see it, uh, martial law was not a big of a burden to them at least. And even to my great grandfather, ganun yung nya, uh, that's the reason why most of some of yung younger generations ng one side of our family is still um, pro-Marcus Because they believed that at the time it was beneficial actually for them. And uh, I, I think a good question for this would be that since we all heard of the Stories of torture and abuse from the victims of the martial law of Ferdinand Marcos. For you, why do you think a lot of people, even some that I know personally, claim that at their time the Philippines was actually way safer? The streets were and the daily life back then were safe and orderly. What can you say about this claim?
1: Um, because they're not affected. They like the area na. Alam mong dalikado, Nandoon sila sa area na safe sila kung saan yung privilege nila nandoon. So it's all about privilege, it's about your class standing. So I always look at it as a privilege and ano yung class or like class A class or noong panahon na yon na protektado ka. Kasi um for example yung minențion natin kanina, yung mga lolo at lola natin, um probably sila hindi sila apektado nung panahon na yon kasi ako yung lola ko na nasa laguna and that time parang malakas yung business something ng ma- ng lolo at lola ko but de- pero narinig nila na ang daming bandit lang sa paligid pero hindi sila apektado kasi nga parang safe sila kasi hindi sila yung tina-target ng ng, Mal- ng malakanya or like ng gobyerno kasi hindi sila yung target na um ip- ipa-kulong ganun. so i think um number one those people who claim this I I'll be parang straightforward but they are insensitive kasi sila lang yung kaya kaya merong mga may ingay ngayon dahil sa kaya merong mga tayong mga karapatan ngayon dahil din sa mga may ingay dati I always say it na yung privilege na meron ka ngayon ay dahil din sa mga nag sacrifice for you Kasi kung titingnan mo for example um yung Huling movie na napanood ko about this I ML ang pangalan um kay Eddie Garcia at Tony Robleska so yung mga listeners um if my time kayo you can watch this kasi pinakita talaga sa ML na movie na um yung mga different kinds of torture that time and parang last week I talked to a martial law um survivor na parang yung asawa niya daw papasok sa opisina and med parang hindi ganun- parang medyo mahaba yung buhok. So, ang ginawa, kinalbo siya sa bus. So, parang kinu... Then, parang tinanong ng mom ko, ano pang nangyari yung martial law, gano'n din on. And parang sinabi na lang nung kapitbahay namin na, ayoko pag-usapan, ayoko na maalala. And parang looking at that, na sobrang lala nung trauma na meron hanggang ngayon. So, parang, kung titingnan mo yung mga nangyari, afe- apektado pa rin talaga yung madaming tao. And kailangan hindi natin kalimutan yung mga kwento nila kailangan hindi nating kalimutan yung mga 7 yung 70,000 people na na kulong yung mga yung 34,000 na na torture di so kasi parang if we forget that how can we have justice and wala pang justice for them so siguro don't be insensitive because you didn't experience it doesn't mean it it did not happen so yun.
0: okay at the end, as uh i think it is also a very similar standing for our generation currently and i think apathy is also one of the main problems na with some members of our generation and for those asking why should the younger generation care because as older people lagi nilang sinasabi eh, hindi hindi kayo pa naman pinapanganak nung panahon na yon so bakit kay nagsasalita ganito nang ganyan how how also kaya, can be replied to these arguments from the older generation
1: Siguro, yung sarcastic, alam nyo na siguro yung sarcastic na reply doon, na parang, ikaw nga, hindi ko pa nak nung panahon ng Pasko, pero isa na-celebrate ma something like that. yung mga, Pero in a serious note, parang, it makes sense, right? Yung sarcastic na answer na yun, na parang, you celebrate something even if you weren't born that. So that means we can also um rally against something even if we're not born during that time. So parang it sounds sarcastic but it's real na parang we have to look at the history we have to look at the past na hanggang ngayon parang nagsimula base sa data nagsimula daw yung mga propaganda na to nung no 2015 so parang exact time na parang tatakbo yung anak niya bilang vice president. So, parang nagsimula ito sa Facebook ads, etc. So, kasabay natin yung United States that time sa fake news. So, parang mahabang libro to, mahabang basahin, pero um I recommend that book. So, kung titinan mo yung discussion na i na I'm, I'm angry, right? I'm angry and I'm frustrated na ang dami pa na hindi naniniwala porket hindi nila nasan. So, parang on my end na parang in siguro nagkaroon ako ng political awakening and uh, natuto ako about martial law nung nag-college ako so nung 2015 so simula parang during that time i hindi ko alam hindi ako sure kung ano yung mga pinag-uusapan di ba sa debate terms kim say so parang so so parang i had to educate myself because that's parang that's may ambigua na sa nangyayari di ba so kung titingnan natin na we cannot accept and just watch what's happening, like yung fake news and the threat of dictatorship. Kaya parang ko sa isa kong um, article na parang what's happening right now is also disgusting because we're also allowing it. Na parang, number one, ang problem ay, kung titingnan mo kasi sa, for example, sa, Germ- sa Germany ba, sa European countries, they do not allow na ma-mention or like magkaroon ng fake news about Holocaust but in the philippines because sira ng justice system gawa ng marcos regime din, parang we just allow it in parang madali lang magpost na golden era ang marcos regime di ba so parang we have ang dami pang problems sa sistema and bilang kabataan parang we have to we we have to actively deny all those claims because it's hurting the history of the country it's hurting like,
0: are the people na affected hanggang ngayon. So, yeah. Okay, and I think uh, our generation, we're also obliged to continue the fight that our ancestors started. And let's not make it go to waste. And since we're talking about the current generation as we are discussing, uh, the hashtag and the movement of hashtag never forget goes on and increasingly popular these days. Why should we not forget? People say that we should forget na lang and move on because this will bring unity to the country for whatever definition they have for unity is. But even the current Philippine president, Rodrigo Duterte, I remember when he was interviewed by GMA, I think, like pre-2016 elections, he stated that we should uh, just allow the Marcuses to be buried in the libingan ng bayani to give an end to the issue that divided the country for decades. If unity of the entire country is at stake, why should we not just forget what happened and move on to a different more um united life
1: Siguro is to share ko yung na experience ko nung weekend um parang yun nga yung kinuwento ko siya sa so, kinuwento ko rin siya na parang sa lahat ng nakausap ko sa lahat ng grab drivers na nakausap ko tungkol sa election ang pinakamabigat at emotional na um nakausap ko is yung grab driver nalasan sa ken ko kasi Marshall law victim siya so i always talk about um elections like everywhere i go because uh campaign season 'di ba so nagsimula yung usapan kay Lenny Robredo dahil may sa ata akong pin ni Lenny Robredo hanggang sa tinanong ko siya what do you think of Bongbong Marcos po oh, parang um nung sinag- sumagot siya hindi ko kainya umiyak ako sagya pero parang hindi ko kinaya yung answer niya, na parang sinabi niya, kapag naririnig o nakikita ko si Bongbong, natatbakot ako, kasi naalala ko yung tatay niya. So parang hearing those words na, yes, na we should never forget, never, aga- never again, talaga, kasi parang, nung nakita niyang umiiyak ako, nung grab driver, parang, parang, nahi- nung nakita niya, parang sinabi niya, kaya ipanalin niyo yan, parang, para sa amin, so parang para sa amin ng mga biktima. So parang, sobrang bigat, nung, nangyayari ngayon na hinahayaan na lang yung mga anomalya, yung lahat ng mga nangyayari. Pero minansyon mo nga yung kay um, Marcos Duterte Alliance, diba? Um, minansyon ko rin to na it's a disgusting alliance kasi we have the most evil and most corrupt families in the Philippines. And you can see na takot sila sa mga tao kasi kita mo lahat ta like for example, the youth today, alam nila yung ginagawa ng Marcos and Duterte Alliance and how greedy they are, diba? So parang kung nang, nagawa nga ni Duterte yung mga kailangan nyo gawin for the Marcoses during his term, parang looking at it, like foresight na lang, kapag manalo si Bongbong, um, we have Bongbong Marcos in the executive branch, we have Sarah Duterte in as vice president, we have legislative branch na probably ya yeah, appoint ulit si Gloria Arroyo, Arroyo bilang house speaker and yun nga kung tina-target na nila yung position so it's already a uh, plan for 6 years kasi nga sinabi nga minention nga 'di ba ni Imee Marcos na 6 years na walang trabaho yung kapatid ko so ibig sabihin 6 years na nila pina plano to so parang tina-target nila yung position so it's, it will it will be easier so for example nanalo si Rodrigo Duterte sa Supreme Court, di ba? Number one, hapag appoint siya 13 out of 15 Supreme Court Justices. So, during that time, we released issues na bakit ganon nag 13 out of 15. Second, natanggal ni Duterte ang si CJ Sereno. So, third, yun nga, yung menansiyon mo na burial of the dictator sa libingan ng mga bayani. Fifth, yung martial law extension sa Mindanao. And lastly, yung um, arrest ni Senator Laila Dalima. So, parang kontig this election is planned by both families, and I also made the content about this actually sa pag-usapan natin. Na parang how the how Marcos and um, Duterte are the same. Na parang number one, I, the the first comparison is parang silang um walang karap walang sa karapatang pantao. So we. Ha- the youth today or like everyone who's listening na we have to look at the facts na madaming namatay nung panahon ni Marcos yes pero madami ring napatay sa panahon natin na pinalipunan na kinagalawan na natin na parang 27,000 ang namatay sa EJK 'di ba walang uh, walang due process second um may point of comparison between uh, Marcos and Duterte is para silang lang Mandalangbong so yun nga kapag si mo sa Google naghu uh, parang greatest robbery of the government ang unang lalabas Pilipinas so parang nahakhiya siya di pero that fact in itself you cannot deny that fact na tayo yung may greatest robbery sa gobyerno compared to the Duterte regime that we're having right now na yung recent formally contracts na ilang billion yung nasayang and next yung pasada media so I think, alam na naman ito na lahat nung, nung panahon ng martial law, wala tayong media. Kung meron man tayong media, ang sinasabi daw lagi, sabi ng mga na-interview ko ay parang, para umunlad ang bayan, disiplina ang kailangan. Parang yun yung tagline nung radyo before, nung panahon ni Marcos. Pero ngayon kay Duterte, pasara yung ABS, um, tina-target ang Inquirer, ang Rappler. So parang, at at ngayon, ang pinaka nakikita natin ay parang silang Hari ng fake news and trolls kasi you cannot dispute the fact na nung panahon ni Marcos ay ngayon pala tinutuloy talaga nila yung historical revisionism and for example, this I interviewed a teacher na parang, bakit ganito yung siya na mismi na nag yung teacher na mismi na nag na bakit ganito yung mga textbooks ngayon na mga bata, parang they're painting or like hindi nila tinitingnan siya ang Marcos regime in a fact-based, but in a way na ito yung mga napatayo yung Philippine Heart Center. So parang they're downplaying what happened in the martial law, which is I think nang kailangan i-combat din ng mga kabataan ngayon. So andaming daming andaming daming the same ways ang Marcos and Duterte. And yeah, we we have to continue fighting for, and we have to continue saying never again or never forget because uh, Sobrang cliche nga nung sinasabi na parang kapag nakalimot ka, parang walang justice, ganun-ganun. Pero totoo siya eh, kasi yun na yung nangyayari ngayon and we cannot deny that fact.
0: Uh, okay, Ate Shannon, uh, with all of these discussions from the past, the present, and touching a little bit on the future, what is your final message to the listeners of the in-between podcast? Uh,
1: final message probably is since we're upit ng election, I'm not here to promote any candidate or whatnot, but I'm here to tell the listeners na this is the fight of our lives. And yung pinag-usapan dito sa podcast ay um, fact-based. Like um, I studied martial law, the history of it. So accept the facts, but at, as Kim si stated, Deba. Now, there are good things, but you have to consider everything before you consider all the development that happened during that time. So, this is the fight of our lives. Um, we cannot lose the parang the, this battle, and we must fight a good and fair fight. So, um, I think for everyone who's na- um keep uh, reading books if, uh, on martial law. Um, keep um, I can actually send, so, uh, baka pwede ilink ng JVLC yung martial law documents sa um, description something ng podcast or whatnot. Pero yun lang, sa, sana ano, may natutunan and konti lang yung mga napag-usapan ngayon, like, it's just a small discussion, madami pang kwento ang martial law. And, ayun, sana mat- patuloy tayong mag-push back kasi kailangan natin yan. So, yun lang. Thank you so much, JBLC.
0: Uh, With all of these, thank you so much, uh, Ate Shannon, for sharing your time and expertise in the subject matter. Thank you very Thank you! We hope that this episode enlightened you with some of the misinformation regarding one of the darkest events and years in the Philippine history. Also. Remember that this upcoming February 25, other than it is my birthday, for real, we commemorate the world-famous and nation-changing people power and EDSA revolution. Which is not a product of some movement of a specific group or party, but this is a day when we celebrate the freedom of the Filipino people, no longer from foreign invaders, but unfortunately from its own citizen and leader that brought hell closer to the Philippines during his regime. Again, all of what was stated were facts. These are not baseless claims, and we don't see why people will hate the truth. Let us not be blind. Let us leave our political prides behind. And for once, remember the past to build a better future for the Philippines. We hope that this episode shed light to some of the questions you have about the martial law in the Philippines. A brighter light came in 1987 when through the people of the Philippines, the dictator is finally ousted, making a freer and safer Philippines, making us feel the independence that we have now. This is the In Between podcast and we will see you on the next episode.